I'm Dorianne Wheel. Welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. Hello, everybody. And do we need thrival as opposed to just survival? It's as much as we can do to keep our heads above water through this craziness of uncertainty. And today I want to talk about you and your relationship, the couple. I've had so many questions as a result of these shows and just from listeners and viewers about how do we keep our relationship going when there are so many added stresses and strains and to keep relationships going at the best of times is tough. So I'm going to refer to some of the questions that I've had, at least three of them today, and offer you some tips that will be useful in enhancing your relationship and making it work through this time. In fact, these skills and thinking of relationships in this way are useful at any time in relationships, but maybe even more so now. And the first thing that people have referred to a lot in different ways is when we were under lockdown or even now in level one, where so many of us are working at home, how do we negotiate space for ourselves? How do we say, and are we entitled to say, look, you know, we're kind of under the same roof, but I need a little bit of time. I need a little bit of space. I need a little bit of self-compassion time. I need some time out. And this is a difficult kind of thing to negotiate anyway, because in relationships, people have their own way of saying that, look, we want space, but we don't want distance. We want closeness for sure, but we don't want intrusion. And one way of looking at it is, in fact, if you could visualize two concentric circles, one representing one of you, one representing the other partner. And these concentric circles usually overlap quite a bit. If you colored in the part that overlaps, you could see that on either side there's space. And that space represents your own autonomy your own self-development, your own hobbies, your own businesses, your own tasks that may have nothing to do, in fact, with your partner. And sometimes in relationships, people are quite threatened by that. You know, if there's a real sense of security, if there's trust, if there's belief in continuity, you get things in couples often that says, go and meet your friends and enjoy yourself and see you when you get back. Or have a game of squash or tennis or whatever it is. Have a good time and I'll meet you at seven or whatever it is. Or of course you need to have your own occupation that keeps you stimulated. And I'm going to encourage you to be the best person that you can be. So this plays out without fear that, the, that you are not enough for the person, that they need extra stimulation that doesn't concern you in a kind of insecure way. It plays out that I want to encourage my partner or my spouse to be the best person that they can be and, they, and take care of themselves too because when we meet, 
And when we do spend that kind of overlapping time together, and when we do focus on that kind of connection together, it's better time. They've had a good time, they can share their experiences with me, and it isn't threatening. Now, often, let me tell you one of the dynamics that we see a lot in gender-based violence is the lack of that kind of security. Very often, I want to own the person. There's a feeling of jealousy, which is actually underpinned by insecurity and by fear that says, why does this person have to have family that isn't mine? Or why does this person have to see anyone that isn't me? Why does this person have to have any interests that aren't mine? And it's based on, am I not enough? A personal kind of insecurity. So in healthy couples, and we see that particularly now, there is a recognition of the need of some sort of space. Now, sometimes that space is physical space. If you happen to be in a place where you can go into another room and say, I need some quiet time to reflect, to meditate, I need time to exercise, I have an interest, I've got to make a connection, or I want to make a connection with my sister, my mother, my friend, or whatever. I need some time for me to do that. People take that and that's really good and it's understood and supported. Not only understood, but supported in terms of the other. Sometimes the space, the physical space that you're in, is confining. And the challenge of finding that kind of me time and practicing self-compassion, if you like, and time out for yourself is more challenging, particularly because we all have more tasks from working at home. You don't have that time travel. You don't have the time commuting. You don't have that coffee break with friends. You have more tasks, either being on the Zoom with your kids who are learning from home or cooking in a way that you didn't used to do because it used to be just maybe when you came back before but now this is all mixed up times are all mixed up housekeeping is more mixed up your work times are challenging and so it's very difficult and it's more challenging but absolutely essential to have the underlying philosophy of security and trust that says of course go and be you of course develop you let's talk about times in the day and I'll step in, renegotiate tasks. So what also happens That's one, and here's another question that someone else said or a comment, I didn't put up my hand to be a teacher, a housekeeper, a nurse, a worker, all rolled into one. It's overwhelming and impossible. So this relates to what I've done, what I've said to you already, but it also relates, and it doesn't have to be women, of course it can be men, where roles have become so confused and people aren't clear in what tasks are assigned to which person. You know, one of my clients turned around and said to her partner, no, the other day, there are two people in this relationship, not only one. There are two parents. And parenting doesn't only mean being a sperm donor. Do you understand? 
This child is your child in an active sense, in a participating sense. And so there was quite a tough but interesting conversation. And it actually could have and should have been framed in a request that said, I would appreciate, I would like you, can you help me out? You know, it would be so um, valued if you could take over or help with the kid at certain times. So the second area of concern that I think that we should um, really talk about in addition to the personal boundary issue and the safety and security that allows for personal space and personal boundary is this question of who does what at home. Now all the tasks are lumped together. You know, there's an expectation of some people come into relationship with an expectation. In fact, we all do in some way based on what we saw when we grew up and based on how we've been up to now, of this is a man's job, this is a woman's job, this is a grown-up's job. You know, teenagers don't, or teenagers are, or kids deserve. And I think that while there's some truth in, in um, saying, obviously, you don't expect certain tasks to be undertaken by a child, but you do expect family participation during this time. And so that needs to be negotiated and discussed. In other words, issue number two that I want to talk about is task negotiation. Who does what and when? Or do we just blindly expect people to step up without asking them to be able to know what we want? And a lot of relationships, let me tell you, do function like People think that loving is knowing. If he loved me, he would know that he needs to take the trash out every second day or every day or whatever it was. If she loved me, she would know that I need to have supper by 6.30, otherwise I get into a bad mood. If he loved me, he would never insult my mother. If she loved me, she wouldn't nag me so much. She would absolutely leave me alone. This is ridiculous of what I have to put up with, you know, for better, for worse, but not for lunch. I'm not dealing with it. And some people are saying there are a lot of casualties of COVID. We call them COVID casualties. One of them is to do with new challenges in relationship and old challenges that are absolutely emerging. So, you know, at the beginning of COVID, I used to think, okay, you know, this is a great time. I'm a psychologist, right? I like people to talk to each other. I like people to resolve problems. I like to sort of rub my hands together in glee and say, right, this is our time to address the elephant that's in the room or the herd of elephants that have been were lurking around, you know, in the foreground or the background. Absolutely not so. You have to be very, very careful. So what do you have to look out for for that? What you have to look out for is if the relationship was essentially communicative and if there was an ability to address issues before they build up and if there was an ability to problem solve before, it's going to be a really, really good time. But if there was evasiveness, if there was fear, 
if there was an, masks, if there was lack of communication, if it was avoiding of conversations, there've been real casualties of this, where people say, okay, you know, that we're going to talk and they don't know how and it just blows up and it's interpreted in completely the wrong way and it gets out of control and sometimes quite hard to bring it back. So there are communication tips, which I'll talk to you about. But right now, what about this task negotiation? So one way a couple of, a couple of couples found to really address this world is they sat and they spoke about all the tasks that need to be done. You know, the meals that need to be cooked, the cleaning that needs to be done, the assistance that has to be offered to the kids, the, um, uh, the, the home tasks, and the fact taking into account that people have different work schedules and so on. And then just on their own at first and before they got together, they kind of said, right, I can do this and I can do this at that time. Maybe it's not something that I'm used to doing, but I can undertake this during this time. And after that, they would sit down and say, okay, you've ticked off that, I've ticked off this. We both say that we can do this. Or neither of us say we want to do this. And then you start negotiating. Negotiating like you do every day in businesses, also bringing those, that kind of respect that kind of listening to the other person's point of view, listening to their wishes and agreeing that these tasks absolutely need to be done and coming to a decision of who is going to do what and when. Now, the reason, real reason for doing this are twofold. One is, of course, the tasks need to be done. But the other thing that, that is perhaps even more important is that you get rid of all the expectation of mind reading and you get rid of that building up resentment because you see your husband sitting on the couch watching television mindlessly while you're the one who's kind of picking up, running after, cleaning up and washing the dishes. Partly, whose problem is it? Think about that. Whose problem is it? Now, all of you immediately will say that it's his problem. He's a lazy so-and-so, you know, he's to blame. He never offers for help. But what I'm here saying to you is that if you are unhappy, you own the problem. Stop shouting me down. I can hear you shouting me down. Listen to this. If I'm unhappy, I own the problem is very empowering, ladies and gentlemen, very empowering. Because what you can say to yourself is if I own the problem, what can I do about it? If it's his problem or he is this or he is that or she is inconsiderate and doesn't realize how hard the times are and how I'm trying to save my work and how I have to work overtime and how I have to be creative, the minute it is someone else's problem, you lose your capacity to deal with it. You then expect them just to deal with it, or you burst out with it, often in a quite in an aggressive manner, because you've allowed the build up and you've allowed the build up and you've allowed the build up to happen, and you haven't dealt or honored your own feelings 
of being unhappy or dissatisfied or insecure along the journey. So what I'm saying is if you say to yourself you are uncomfortable about something or unhappy and you know ways of being able to communicate this without expecting your partner to simply carry a little x-ray machine that sees your feelings without you having the ability to respond, in other words, the responsibility, you might wait for a very, very long time and you might not get your needs met. So in task negotiation, the two real benefits of it are A, the tasks that get addressed and done, and B, the responsibility of the negotiation of saying, I would like, I would appreciate, can you do, this is what I can do without that kind of crazy expectation and underlying of dirty space between you, of murky, murky, dirty space between you that doesn't get cleaned up. So that was the question about negotiating tasks. Who does what and when? Can I expect help? And so let me just address the can you and you meaning you. You is listening to it. I don't care what your gender is. By the way, I did say something about involve the kids. Let them do certain things for themselves in an age-appropriate way. It's a good testing ground and it's a good teaching them of the fact that they are part of a whole, part of a collective, part of a family that needs to participate. They need to feel the love, they need to feel the support, they need to feel the connection, they need to feel the understanding, but they also need to do the tasks. You want the chicken, you also get a bit of the Brussels sprout, okay, in a family, not just an a la carte menu here. So please do, in task negotiation, involve the kids as well. But we're talking today essentially about the couple, and there's a last question here that comes up in different forms all of the time never wants to talk to me, certainly won't talk about feelings. Actually, one of these questions, interestingly enough, came from a man, I'm going to call him Paul, wasn't his name, to say, I want to sit and have conversations with my wife, she's always too busy. And I would want to say, you know, if I had the opportunity of speaking to Paul, you know, what does that do to you? What does that make you feel like? And I bet you in some form or another, what he's going to say is I begin to feel like everything else is more important than me. Can't we at least sit down when the kids have gone to bed or find a time now, you know, during or at the end of the day, over lunch or whatever, where it's just the two of us and we can sit and talk together. And you know, the kind of conversations that people are wanting are interesting. They're not always the what my kids always refer to when they, they listen to me a lot. And what they, I don't mean listen in terms of obey, I mean listen in terms of hearing. They hear these kind of conversations, which in some way are unusual conversations that emanate out of my study onto cameras and onto Zooms like I'm doing now. And they say, but Ma, you know, they're always kind of D and M conversations. And I say to them, what do you mean by D and M? They say deep and meaningful. What about hello, how's it? What about did you have a nice day? 
What about, what are you thinking about today? And even things that may be a little bit more D&M, like, you know, catching up with, with what people are looking forward to, catching up with what they're dreading maybe, you know, forming that kind of connection. So the conversation is not only these ah, courageous conversations that I have to brace myself to have in order to resolve problems. Those conversations are exceptionally important. And they do require quite a lot of courage in order to address issues and to keep the space clean. And while I'm talking about that, I just want to say that sometimes the outcome that you anticipate is much worse. Sometimes it isn't. It does require risk. Depends a lot on how you address it. I'm unhappy. I would appreciate it. Can you give me a little bit of time is really a much better way of starting you know, how the hell could you have done that? Or, you know, it, it, with a blaming you this, or you inconsiderate, or you never, or you always, or, you know, here it is again, or, you know, generalizing conversations that are characterized by finger pointing and by blame. Best to start the conversations with I. But what I was saying is that there's a range of conversations. And there is some difference. I mean, I am generalizing. It's not always the same. As I say, that question came from a man. But men and women are often all notorious about the way they use conversation. Women tend to use conversation more for rapport. In other words, to form connection. And you see it kind of played up all the time or to confirm connection. So they can't wait to kind of get hold of their partner or he, she hits the front door and you start by saying, how was your day? What happened here? Let me tell you what happened. The kid did this and this. My work or my boss was impossible or, you know, that friend of mine or, you know, your mother, I can't deal with her. And you often want to talk a lot. And the reason for talking a lot is saying, recognize me, connect with me, give me some time, let me know you're important. And often it is important, but the timing is wrong. Men use conversation more to, for report rather than rapport, to give and receive information. And these are generalizations. But often in that example, he might think to himself, woman, please just give me some space. Give me some space. Let me just breathe. Let me sit down. Let me gather my thoughts. Then I'll be able to speak to you. And she's thinking, talk to me, talk to me. Let me know that you've been missing me and waiting to see me more at the end of the day. A lot of this is being challenged because, of course, roles are not the same. Roles are, especially now, everybody is involved in a way with everything and doing their part in everything. But those kind of things get played out. and. This man who sent me this question was saying, I just want to have some time to have ordinary conversation, not necessarily problem-solving conversation, connecting conversations just about this and that, and not issues or problems or tasks or things that we have to deal with. More, how's it going, kind of conversation, or you know, what is consuming you these days, which you might think, 
is pretty deep, but those are the sorts of conversations of, you know, let me understand you and what's happening with you that we absolutely need to have. So in order to kind of maintain these kind of conversations, sometimes it's a challenge, a challenge, especially in lockdown. And once again, it might require the planning of time because it's so amazing how quickly that day goes and how we fill those hours. Do you remember at the beginning of lockdown that people were saying, right, this is my time. I'm going to learn a new language. I'm going to read 10 books. I'm going to clean out my cupboards. I'm going to do exercise. I'll come out of this looking amazing. I mean, that was when we thought that there was a kind of three-week sprint instead of like this endless marathon that we're all in now and the uncertainty that is causing such stress and manifesting in us personally and in our relationships. I mean, there really has been a statistically significant increase, you know, in our mental health issues, especially people who had issues before have just been exaggerated. And also we're talking today about couples and the divorce rate has really increased. But it's also a time, as I say, to find a niche, to value your partner, to be grateful that you have someone with you who essentially has your back to feel entitled enough to be heard, to feel entitled enough that they're going to promote your personal development and not only allow you, which is what a parent does for a child, but what a partner does for a partner, but to encourage you to have some of your time because looking after your husband and looking after your wife is good for you as well. Looking after your children's mother or father is good for them and good for you as well. So there's a lot of new gratitude. I hope that there's appreciation of the person that you're with. I hope that the gratitude and the appreciation has overridden some of the challenges or at least make you say these challenges are worth fighting for. And in terms of the three things that we spoke about today, find your space. You're entitled to have some of it. Negotiate the tasks in the house and communicate openly with vulnerability and with real authenticity in an assertive, not in an aggressive or submissive way, out finger pointing and blame but in wanting the other person to understand you and you wanting to understand it. See you again next time. I'm Dorianne Wheel. Thanks for listening to Thrive with Dr. D, a Jackpot podcast.